Welcome to The Gaggle, an AZ Central podcast where we chat with reporters, experts, and special guests to keep you fully informed on the state's political news. I'm your host, Yvonne Winget Sanchez. I cover national politics for the Arizona Republic. And I'm Ron Hansen, also a national political reporter for the Republic. In today's episode, we're talking all about the economy. This is Ron's favorite topic. How is Arizona doing and how might things look and feel when voters go to the ballot box to make their choices? This is no small matter because more than a few presidents have had their jobs hang on the condition of the economy and it can also make or break governors, so I'm sure Doug Ducey is paying attention. So how have President Trump and our own Governor Doug Ducey shaped the economy and built their brand around it? see the stock tickers on the TV screens around us in the newsroom, the updates are constant. President Donald Trump has gotten the trade war he wanted with China. He's renegotiated NAFTA more to his liking with Mexico and Canada. But his economic policies have had a big impact. It's a lot to sort through and it's a lot to digest. Ron, just set the table for us. Give us the background on the state of our nation's economy these days. Maybe the first thing to know about the economy is that by the usual measures, it's doing pretty well. The Great Recession technically ended in June 2009, and the economy's been expanding ever since. This summer, we set a new record for the longest expansion in U.S. history. But in a sense, that's also what has people worried. Any hiccup at this point seems to beg the question of, is this the end? Is the sky falling on us now? Nationally, job creation has been pretty good, though the pace has slowed down a bit. Wage growth has been mediocre, but has actually picked up lately. The stock market is not normally a good measure of the economy overall, but it does tell us a few useful things. And lately, the market has had a lot of poor days after a decade of mostly good days. And in August, people who invested in bonds first saw less return on long-term bonds than they get for short-term bonds, and that's pretty abnormal. Typically, you see more returns on long-term bonds, not short-term bonds. And any time we've seen that kind of reverse activity since the mid-1950s, it's been followed by a recession within 18 months. The economy has been one of the strongest arguments for President Trump's re-election efforts, and Doug Ducey, another businessman turned government executive, has loudly touted Arizona's economy for years. So neither of those two want to see the economy turn into another political problem, and the rest of us don't want it to turn into a life problem. Here to talk about the economy is reporter Russ Wiles, who covers business, finance, and the economy. Hello. Glad to be here. So, Russ, given what Ron said earlier about returns on short-term bonds before long-term bonds, how is that typically a marker of uh, a recession? Like, how worried should we really be? Um, Wall Street for a couple weeks there, a few weeks back, was getting quite worried because this is an indicator. It's called the yield curve inversion that has accurately predicted, I think, most of the last recessions. But of course, there isn't a fundamental reason that it has to. It's really one of these indicators that has in the past predicted or coincided with recessions, even if there isn't necessarily 
a lot of explanatory power. Mm-hmm. You know, just because the yield curve inverts doesn't mean a recession should follow. Right. But but, they, but they made that connection in the yeah. past, yeah. and people have noted that connection. Yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely more correlation than science. Well, kind of, yeah, that's a good way to put it. And uh, there have been a few other indications out there that the economy is slowing. What other markers are there? Well, uh, manufacturing activity has been weak. Um, there's some concern about trade. But I think, by and large, the, as Ron said, the economy is still very good. We're not, we're, we're growing at 2% roughly a year. We're not at the, the sugar high that we had last year fueled by tax reform where the economy was growing about 3%. But, you know, 2% growth is still pretty good. And, and to Ron's point also, the economy per se really, I don't think, is the, um, the issue for this election because a good chance we're going to remain out of recession. But the, the bigger issue is are people feeling well in all socioeconomic groups? Clearly no. Um, and a lot of the, the candidates, particularly from the Democrats, have come out with proposals such as wealth taxes that would try to redistribute uh, the assets out there. So, Russ, how much longer can this current 10-year economic expansion continue? It could keep going. But, you know, when you get this, when you, when you, when you reach new territory, longest recovery now I think we are ever or, or within a month or two. People are wondering, you know, just that question. There's no real reason it couldn't go another five years. But for that to happen, I mean, uh, you know, I think all the, the wheels will be, have, to, have to be turning at least to some degree. But there's no, there's no reason it has to end um, anytime soon. And I think if you're, if you're Donald President Trump, you want to make sure it, it doesn't end in the next year. And, of course, that's one reason I think he's been pushing so hard of, of the central bank to, to lower interest rates further, even though I think a lot of market watchers think rates are low enough as they are. So I think we have a good handle on what the president's economic policies have been. How has his rhetoric, his tweets, his pressure to cut interest rates, how kind of has, has all of this made consumers and the people really in charge of um, determining the future of our economy. How does that make everyone feel? Well, I think all the tweets have had fairly minimal impact on consumers. Consumers seem to be pretty happy, confident out there. They're spending. Uh, most gauges of the economy are doing well. The tweets sometimes, though, scare the markets quite a bit because they just the mar- the investors don't like ins- uncertainty, and some of these tweets have just gone in places where nobody's been really expecting it. So the, tw- the tweets have an impact. But I think also by now, rational people are realizing that they're just, in many cases, just President Trump voicing his opinion doesn't necessarily mean policy is going to change. But by and large, I mean, at least at times, the tweets are unsettling to investors and the market for sure. One of the... Um the issues, uh, apart from tweets, is his uh, interest in trade and, and how foreign countries are dealing with us. He has NAFTA 2.0, the USMCA tra- trade agreement with Mexico and Canada pending before Congress now. Um, give us a sense of how NAFTA has worked out for Arizona and what this revised deal might mean for us. I think NAFTA generally has been good. I mean, if you, if you believe the free trade 
benefits both parties, which is usually the case. And Mexico now is our, I think, our largest trading partner. Mexico and Canada both, both of the NAFTA partners. Um, the background has been beneficial for Arizona, and you will certainly hear Governor Ducey and uh, uh, heads other economic leaders around the state pushing hard for NAFTA. Um, so uh, I, I think any disruption there would be bad for Arizona. My feeling is that at some point we're going to get this trade pact inked and we'll be good to go from there. But NAFTA is certainly important for Arizona. And any dr dramatic reshuffling of the trading cards would be bad for the state, at least in the short term. Broadly speaking, where is consumer confidence right now in the economy, in the economy and how might that affect voter sentiment? I think consumer confidence, the latest I've looked at, is, is fairly good. What you're alluding to, I think, a little bit is not the what we would consider the top-line economic numbers, jobs, which are job growth, which has been good, corporate profits, which have been good, gross domestic product, GDP growth, which has been fairly good. What you're talking about is how people, you know, are they feeling like they're getting ahead in this economy? And clearly not a lot, not a lot of people are. I mean, there have been survey after survey indicating that about 40% of the population is essentially living paycheck to paycheck. Um, they would struggle if, if they had a $1,000 or $2,000 unexpect, unexpected car repair or air conditioning. And, and I think the bill, and I think, I think the reason for so much of that frustration is that people are still carrying a lot of debt. You know, not so much maybe mortgages as before. I mean, we're not having a mortgage crisis, but a lot of peop young people are saddled with tens, if not hundreds of thousand dollars of student loan debt. Uh, credit card debt is still out there. Medical debt alone is enough to push someone into to bankruptcy. So on the consumer level, people, I think, are struggling with debt, and that's leading to a, a, some feeling of dissatisfaction, even though they're not necessarily crimping their spending. As of this recording, uh, Democratic Senator Elizabeth Warren appears to be closing in on Vice President Joe Biden uh, on the Democratic presidential side. How are the markets responding to the prospects of a President Warren? I think it's too early to say, and the market generally despite some turbulence that Ron alluded to a few weeks ago, has actually been creeping up there, and it's almost back to its all-time highs. So it's still early. By and large, though, as a general statement, most investors who have significant money are probably Republicans, and Republicans would not like some of the Democratic ideas, such as the wealth tax that has been enunciated not only by Senator Warren, but uh, Senator uh, Sanders, Bernie Sanders as well. So those sort of proposals would scare a significant number of big investors. Russ, explain to us what you mean by a wealth tax. Well, and I haven't even really looked at all the details. Uh, uh, this is a tax on assets of maybe the top 0.5% of people, 0.3% of people in the country. So at least in the case of Bernie Sanders, that money collected from the wealth tax would help pay for his Medicare for All style plan, which would ensure health coverage for everyone. Is that a trade-off that you suspect Americans are willing to make? Not necessarily. I mean, think of all the, the conflict and controversy over Obamacare, for example. 
when's the last time we had social security reform? I think it's been about 35 years. So those issues by themselves are controversial and complex. To, 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 to link two complicated issues together, I think, is going to be a, a stretch. But you're right. I mean, nobody's with this, these big taxes are talking about paying down the deficit. Nobody is talking about the, paying down the deficit at all or the, de, you know, the, the national debt. So they're, they're, it's just a, a different way of taxing and, and redistributing the money and, and, and supporting you know, certain social programs. What other programs are on the minds of Arizonans and Americans as we kind of barrel towards 2020? People are always concerned about Social Security. Yeah, but Social Security, I don't, I just, it's the proverbial third rail, and I just don't see hardly any movement on it anytime soon. You know, like prior administrations, prior Congresses, we're going to wait till we get to within three or four years probably of running out of the trust fund money, and then we're going to go into emergency session and hopefully f- make some sort of fixes. But Social Security doesn't seem to be a, a major issue right now on anybody's mind. Russ, what's the one thing that you're looking at when you're trying to get a sense of when the economy may be turning in a new direction or looks like it's going to be, you know, continuing to do well for the near term? Is there anything, any one indicator? Is there any, uh, anything that you think consumers should be keeping their eyes on? Well, I think what investment professionals are looking for are bubbles, bubbles that are going to burst and spill out with all sorts of fallout like we had 12 years ago with the housing the housing bubble. Um, I don't think housing is in a bubble. I actually don't even think necessarily the stock market is in a bubble. I'm not, I'm not sure what the bubble is. There might be some sort of a debt bubble out there, though. Uh, student loan impact, perhaps? I don't know. I, don't, I have not identified a bubble, and I'm not aware of anyone who's really done so. But I would think something like that. Some unexpected, but also very influential breakdown, really, of the economy. Well, thanks, Russ, for uh, coming on. Where can people find you at Twitter? AZ Money News. And I don't tweet controversial things either. That is awesome. (laughs) Thanks so much. Controversy-free tweets. All right, listeners, let's dive into some afterthoughts, breaking down the politics of what we just heard. I'm going to leave this to you, Ron, because this is straight up in your wheelhouse. What are the consequences of people feeling like we have a good economy or a bad economy heading into 2020? Well, I think it's safe to say that Donald Trump's job may be writing on how they feel about it. Look, I think the most important thing that we've seen in, in the last generation or so is that it's not how the economy is absolutely doing. It is how people feel about how the economy is doing. So if you look at 1984, the economic numbers that Ronald Reagan had at that time were not fantastic, but people felt really good about the direction of the economy. And of course, he wins in a landslide. If you look at 2012, it's sort of the same story for Barack Obama. The economic numbers on their face were not fantastic. And yet he won relatively easily in 2012 because people felt like the economy had sort of turned the corner. I think in many ways, that's the question for 2020. How will voters feel? Russ is right that there probably is little reason to think that we'll actually be in technical recession by election day next year. But that doesn't mean people will feel great about the economy at that point. So For Donald Trump, the trick is to make sure that people feel good about the economy, even if the numbers are a little harder to figure. 
I remember feeling pretty good about the economy back in the mid 2000s when I got my stimulus check from um, George W. Bush. I felt like a million bucks. I went out, I bought new outfits, I went out to dinner. And then under Obama, I bought my first house. And this was even as we were heading into, well, we were. We were in the depths of a recession. And so I do think that, I mean, clearly, voter sentiments and confidence in the economy um, should not be um, underappreciated as we head into 2020. And that's probably why we're going to be hearing so much from Republicans like Senator Martha McSally and um, Representative David Schweikert about the state of the economy and, you know, why would you want to muck all this up in their view? Right. There's no question about it. So I think that they will join the president in trying to sell everyone on the idea that the economy is doing really well and that in any event, this is the team that made sure that the economy stayed doing well. Um, I remember those stimulus checks and, and the provisions for home buyers and the stimulus that Obama had as well. In fact, I bought my first house with uh, with some of the tax credits that were available at that time. So, you know, look, 70% of the economy is based on consumer activity. There's just, you can't overstate how important consumer sentiment really is at the end of the day. And again, the president and to a lesser extent, Doug Ducey, have a lot riding on this. They have so much invested in the idea that they are the businessmen who really know how to make the economy work. They can't have this economy crashing down around them. That's it for today, Gaggle listeners. And while we still have you, please don't forget to rate and review our show and share it with a friend. If you want to reach me on Twitter, I'm at Yvonne Winget. And I'm at Ronald J. Hansen, and that's H-A-N-S-E-N. Today's episode was edited and produced by Taylor Seeley with oversight from Katie O'Connell. Thank you so much for listening to The Gaggle, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. We'll see you next week.